welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. We are uh, in the book of Mark, in the 11th and 12th chapter, so I'll invite you to turn there. As you do, I should just let you know that um, this, um, this just in, friends, uh, Mucci's is a new little Italian restaurant. It's literally right on the corner. It's got the black awnings. It has no name, so you have to be looking for it. You've got to be looking for it to find it. But uh, they're a new restaurant in the neighborhood, and they just opened up. And on Sunday mornings, they are uh, from 8 to 12, they have donuts available. Uh, yep, that's worth applauding. Yes, yes. And um, I'll just say this. If you go once, you might be going twice. They're really, really good, and the people over there are fantastic. I met Tim, one of the owners, and his wife. Uh, there was Heather, and there was Amy. Did I get that? Is it Bruce? Do you remember? You don't. I think it was Amy and Heather. Anyways, great people. Uh, actually, they, they, there was an article about it in the paper, and they said, you know, we're hoping there's a church just down the street, so we're, you know, church people and donuts. It's kind of like cops and donuts, right? <laughs> we're hoping that they come, so... Um, Make sure, and, and BT dubs, if you do go over there on Sundays, like, please be nice because they, they'll know it's us. Um, I told them that I was going to tell you guys, and if you eat there, please tip your wait staff very well, okay? Otherwise, don't eat there. Because the gospel's connected to this, right, friends? This is, the, this is the witness of the gospel here, so let's love them. Um, and eat good food. All right, Mark chapter 11. So we're going to continue our Lenten journey this morning uh, towards Easter. If you're not familiar with the season of Lent, it is a season of intentional preparation. So we prepare ourselves, we, uh, we examine, we sometimes refrain from something so that we might experience something else more deeply for heightened awareness. And so we're going to look at this passage in Mark 11 and 12, and um, Mark has sort of had this flow and feel so far through it, and it's no different today. Um, Mark is very interested in a, in a particular conversation, and it's related to and around the topic of who is Jesus. And today, really, it's about the authority of Jesus. And so um, previously, we've, uh, we've talked about uh, uh, this idea that Mark is in conversation with uh, a number of people, but this one particular question he keeps asking about who is Jesus and what is, what's he really doing, uh, and, and how is he doing these things, by what authority, and so this conversation about authority has huge implications because, of course, Jesus then dies and is resurrected, and so if his life and teachings were authoritative, then something about his death and resurrection is as well. Remember, Mark's audience is both Jews and Greeks, these, this group of people called God-fearers, people who might have been interested in the story of Israel, but not quite up to speed as maybe their Hebrew neighbors. So this story in this parable puts Jesus smack dab in the middle, in the center, and postured right there in conversation with Israel's history and their story and their future, really. So if you will, stand and we'll read from Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27. Mark writes this, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven, or was it human origin? Tell me. They discussed among themselves, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Step off. <clears throat> 
Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, and he put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, they beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the hand, the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of whom they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. That's a hearkening back to Isaac and Abraham. Take the son, the one whom you love. He had one son, the one whom he loved, and he sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to the other, one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and his inheritance will be ours. So they took him out, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, and so they left him and went on their way. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to, teach Je- to catch Jesus in, the, in his words, and they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity, You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Classic buttering up. Is it right that you pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought him the coin and he asked, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Pray with me. God, as we gather this morning and we sing and we worship, we open our hearts to you, we uh, open this book, this text, uh, these words which we believe to be inspired and given to us by you, I pray that you might speak, that you would uh, teach us what it means to be more and more like your son, that we would uh, maybe have a different response than those who heard this parable first. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So last week I told a story about being punched in the face in high school. It was the classic knuckle sandwich. And uh, Mark, if you've been with us, uh, we've talked about this idea of a sandwich. Mark takes two stories and he sandwiches them between another. These two have something to do with each other and they speak to the one in the middle. And that's exactly what's happened again here. He tells these two stories essentially about Jesus' authority and then there's this parable in the center. And so Mark is really kind of playing out this tension that's been building. In chapters 8 and 10, Jesus has predicted his own death. And if you remember, he said that the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees will hand me over, the Son of Man, and I'll be killed, and so on and so forth. Notice what Mark makes very clear in this parable, or right before the parable and right after. Who are the people that have come to ask Jesus these questions? The chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, right? He's The drama is building, sort of, if you're listening to watching a movie, the sort of foreshadowing music would be getting stronger here. It's all coming, and it's coming down this way. So here's what I want to do today. I want to say just briefly a couple things about the the bread of the sandwich, but I really want to focus on the parable in the center. So this story number one, by what authority are you doing these things, the, the first part of the sandwich? It kind of begs the question, what things, right? They ask Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Well, what things has Jesus done? So back up the truck a little bit. Chapter 11, he's just cleared the temple. He's walked into the temple, sort of thrown the temple, uh, the, the money changers aside, and sort of caused a ruckus in the temple. A lot of people are a little upset about this. Um, 
This is sort of the major moneymaker and center of the, the Jewish life of worship, and Jesus has sort of upset the whole thing. He's just healed Bartimaeus, the blind guy, on his way to Jerusalem. He's healed the, the, the boy who was possessed with a demon. He's healed a blind man in Bethsaida, a number of other things. And so they're asking him, by what authority are you doing these things? There's lots of traveling teachers and healers in Jesus' day, but there's something different about this guy. And so they're saying, who sent you? Who do you think you are, really? Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a teacher. Some are saying you're the promised one. This whole tradition of, of scriptures of the Old Testament have this promised person who's going to come and save and restore Israel, the Messiah, and some are saying you're that guy. So Jesus asks them a question. Classic Jewish you know, rhetoric, right? They ask him a question, he responds with a question. Parents out there, this is great with your kids. When they ask you a question, ask them a question back. It's just good, it's good times. Because we love answers, right? We just want answers. Just tell me what I need to know. Good teachers ask good questions. So he asks this question, it's a tricky one. He says, John's baptism, divine or human? You tell me, and then I'll tell you the answer to your question. So they start thinking, and they're trying to figure this out, right? And here's the kicker. Jesus is standing in solidarity with John the Baptist. He's been baptized by John. He's with John. Some of the disciples that have followed John are now following Jesus, and Jesus is standing in solidarity with John. And essentially what he says is, how you answer the question about John is what you answer the que- or how you answer the question about me. Divine or human? Messiah or teacher? Prophet? You decide. So there's story one. Then story two is this story about taxes. Should we pay the tax to Caesar or not? This is common in Jesus' day. There was a tax, an imperial tax, by the Romans on the Jewish people. So they say, should we, should we pay the tax or not? Now, what we don't know in the text is that if you were a part of Jesus' time and you were to look at one of these coins, it actually says this. Uh, Tiberius was the, the emperor, the Caesar at the time of Jesus, and it says on the coins that would have been circulating, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, so what's just been said about, about Tiberius is that he is the son of God. Caesar, right, Tiberius, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, a previous emperor. So Tiberius then by default is the son of God. So by asking this question, they think they've got Jesus where they want him, and he sort of bypasses it, a little jujitsu move. And essentially he says, listen, for the time being, give to Caesar what Caesar's. This is a power and authority that's, that's here now, but it is fleeting. And you should know that there is nothing outside of God's reach, including this group of people called Israel. And all that it represents is actually God's, not yours. So give to Caesar what Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And at this, they sort of get upset and they want to kill him. Right? Because he's essentially indicting them on what they're doing and what Israel has become. He says, this thing, including the temple in Israel, which you represent, which is why this parable is so juicy. Okay, So let's go. Here we go. Um, N.T. Wright, writes a, he, uh, he's written a book, uh, a Lenten book, that I've been reading and in, in, uh, sort of in prep for this. And, and uh, it was very helpful this week. So if you read that and you think, oh, I've heard some of these things, credit where credit is due, N.T. Wright has helped with this sermon. He and I are good pals. We just talk on the phone. Calls me on the telly. Um, Mark Twain is quoted saying this. History never repeats itself, but it often rhymes. History never repeats itself, but it often rhymes. What's he saying? 
Essentially saying that it may not repeat itself in exact events, but we keep coming back to familiar places and themes as humans. Right? Power, sex, money, authority. These are themes that we've heard before. They're things that the humans, humans before us have dealt with and walked through for better or for worse at times. And these things are often still at play. So keeping that idea in mind, that history never repeats itself, but it often rhymes, Jesus tells this parable. And we've talked about parables before. They function as a rhetorical device in Jewish culture. They often are subversive. So if a Jewish teacher is telling a parable, he's often critiquing something, right? A parable is a way by which you might speak a truth about something without going straight sort of with the obtuse truth. It's, a, it's sort of sophisticated in that sense. So what's Jesus doing? What's he critiquing? What's he poking at? In Jesus' day, there's a question that the people of Israel would have been very concerned about. And the question is, who is Israel? How do you get in? Who's this group of people called God's people? What's it co constituted by? How do you enter into it? Uh, how do you stay a part of it? What would it look like when God returned to this group of people called Israel? As many in Jesus' day would have thought that God, while they were in Israel living there, they're still under the oppression of the Romans, they're still in, oppressed or uh, uh, enslaved, as it were, so God would come back, what would it look like when he did? And it's into this context that Jesus tells this parable about a vineyard. Now you have to know that in the scriptures, vineyard almost always equals Israel. Now there's not a, sometimes we do that and we think like this equals that and it gets us into trouble. On this one, the vineyard in almost every Old Testament reference refers to the nation of Israel. So Jesus tells a parable about a vineyard. And if you're listening, you can hear the rhymes, you can hear the echoes of the past story of Israel. Uh, maybe said differently, there are these echoes of Israel's story and Jesus' actions that are all over this parable. And so I want to I look at a couple of those this morning. So the first echo is this, where, and I, maybe I would say it this way, where's the fruit? Do you guys remember Arby's? Yeah? Okay, Arby's, it's, they, they make roast beef sandwiches, right? Arby's, not your question. So there was an ad campaign that I remember watching as a kid with these little old ladies. Do you remember this? And they would get this sandwich from one of the competitors of Arby's, right? And the little old lady takes a bite of the sandwich and she says, where's the beef? As if to say, like, you know, the competitors, they don't put enough roast beef in these sandwiches, but Arby's, they put, you know, all the beef one, is, one needs in the sandwich. Now, whoever wrote this ad campaign, they're probably sipping Mai Tais in Cancun right now because we're still talking about it 25 years later, right? Brilliant. Where's the beef, she says. The first echo in this parable is this idea of where's the fruit? Because Jesus has just gone into the temple, and there's another Mark sandwich where he sees this fig tree, he curses it, he goes up to the temple, he throws it to pieces, he comes down from the temple, and Mark comments on the fig tree again. And the idea is that there's this tree that's supposed to be bearing fruit, and it's not. So Jesus curses it. Where's the beef? Where's the fruit? Jesus tells a story about a vineyard which has been prepared and given every opportunity to provide or bear fruit. A vineyard is to do one thing. It's to make grapes so that you can have wine or grape juice. If you want communion at other churches... I always thought that was an interesting one. That was grape juice, non-fermented. Really? Another sermon for another day. 
Vineyards are supposed to make grapes, period, end. They're supposed to bear fruit. So when the harvest time comes and the fruit would be gathered, the, the owner of the vineyard comes and he sends his people. And he doesn't, he's not met with fruit that's been born from the trees of the, of the, vine, or the vine of the vineyard. No, he's met with injustice and evil. And if you're an ancient Israelite and you start talking about a vineyard that's not bearing fruit, you're thinking Isaiah 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 5. And I want to suggest that the authors of the Bible, especially the New Testament, are doing this. They're going back and forth between Old Testament and what they're writing. Old Testament and what they're writing. And the people who would have heard it first are just clicking along. They're following. So he tells a, vineyard about, uh, tells a story about a vineyard that doesn't bear fruit. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. On a, my, loved, my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared it of stones, planted it with the choicest finds built a watchtower in it, and cut out the wine press. Does this ring a bell? Is anybody following? This is the exact story Jesus is telling. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it only yielded bad fruit. Now you dwellers of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done, or what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Where's the fruit? is the question. The first echo in this parable not only goes back to Jesus' actions in the temple, but to Isaiah chapter 5. So I'll ask this question this morning. If a vineyard is intended to bear fruit, and the people of God are likened to a vineyard with an intention and a purpose that they were not fulfilling, one that was to bear fruit, life, hope, justice for the world, your life, my life as a follower of Jesus, does it bear fruit? On this one, the proof is in the pudding. There's just no getting around it. And I don't ask this question to induce shame or guilt or judgment. That's not my intention. But it is my intention. This is a Lenten question, right? We're preparing our hearts for something. We're examining ourselves so that we might experience in full the reality of resurrection and Easter. Is your life bearing fruit? The parable asks this question, where is the fruit? And I want to ask this question this morning for you and for I. If not, what kind of soil are we cultivating in the deep places of our hearts that's not allowing the fruit of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to be born in our lives? What's getting in the way? This is a, this is a, a, a reflective question that causes us to think in about what's on the inside, right? Do you remember the, the, the questions to the rich young ruler? The questions Jesus really wanted to ask were about the heart. So I would ask that question this morning. Where's the fruit? So this first echo. The second echo, I would say it this way. This is not the first time. This story is really old by the time Jesus tells it. A, serv- or a, a guy who owns a vineyard, he sends his servants, they, they kill him, they beat him, they... they terrorize them, they send them away. Not a new story, one that has been told many, many times before. Jesus stands in a very long line of prophets. Think about the prophets of the Old Testament. Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Elijah, Elisha, Malachi, Micah, boom. (laughs) Many of whom Israel shunned, beat, or killed when they came and spoke messages of repentance and return to Yahweh. So the prophets come, God sends them to speak this message. Bear this kind of fruit. Be this kind of people. Turn around. Repent. Teshuvah. Just turn around. That's all it means. Go the other direction. 
many of whom Israel shunned, beat, and even killed. Then a son is sent. Interesting, not the first time this story has been told. We've studied this before when we looked at this passage about the potter's house in Jeremiah. Uh, we studied uh, not too long ago in the book of Romans. And this, this, essentially these, these warnings that come from the prophets are not about God's like, dictative, like, mean-spirited heart, but rather, we learned, these are about the longings of God for his people to come back to him. This is a good parent who wants his kids to come back. This isn't about God's judgment and like fierceness, but rather the flexibility of God. If you return, my judgment turns to rejoicing. So return, not the first time this story has been told. So this group of people hears this story about a vineyard and a guy, an owner who sends all these messengers and they beat them and they kill them and then he sends a son and Jesus says, hey, These messages have been coming for a very, very long time, and you're ignoring them. Question for us this morning. Are there any ways in which God may be sending messages to you and to me? Messages that are rooting in the loving heart of God, the loving heart of a parent who wants you back. Messages that declare the beauty and inherent value of that which is most essentially you. Messages that are actually good for you, that will bring life, not death. Are there messages, are there hints, are there invitations that you've heard before that you continue to ignore? The parable would say you do so to your peril. I'm not trying to be judgmental or to speak shame over anybody, But friends, this is the truth of the the story. Maybe it's an addiction that you need to speak out loud to a trusted friend and begin a journey towards healing. Maybe it's a change of attitude towards a spouse or a coworker that you you know you're being invited to. It's that thing that you would just wish would shut up. It's in the back and you keep hearing it and you just don't want to hear it. Maybe it's a change of lifestyle in order to attend to a marriage or a relationship that's stressed by whatever it is. Maybe it's forgiveness that you need to pursue or that you need to offer regardless of whether they're asking for it. These hints, these these echoes, these messages that we've heard before and we keep hearing. And friends, this is who God is. God continues to come back You cannot deny or stop the relentless and furious love of God because this is who God is, and it's always rooted in relationship. God will never force God's self on you. It's always invitation. It's always come back. It's always please. Here I am offering forgiveness and grace and mercy if you would just turn around. Stop ignoring the messages. Stop ignoring the invitations. Today, do something today. Repent Turn around, go a different direction, the scripture says. And I would implore you to do the same. Because this is what God does and this is who God is, the one who continues to send these messages. Come back, come back. So echo one, echo two, and then echo three. The the rejected stone is actually the keystone. Jesus ends this parable by quoting a verse from Psalm 118. And the verse is, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. Some of your translations may say the keystone or the capstone. So I want to show you a picture of a couple of, uh, I went to Israel a couple of years ago. 
Um, and this is a, uh, an archway. If you can see, uh, there's sort of, there's a doorway, right? And then there's a, a darker piece above that. And then right above that, if you look really closely, you can see the outline or sort of the, the like, vague imprints of stones that would have been placed in an arch. Do you guys see that? Go to that next one, Trev. You can see it this way, right there, above the sort of dark spots. This is called the Gate of Abraham. Now, Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 follows his nephew all the way to the north, northest most part of Israel called Dan. And uh, uh, this is the place where, uh, this is Dan, Tell Dan it's called. And so they call this Abraham's Gate. Now, the reason I show you this is the archway. A lot of people in architecture, we, we, we think that we have the Romans to thank for the Roman arch. When they found this, this was like the first archaeological evidence to say that maybe the Romans didn't build the first arch. But there were people long before the Romans, wherever in this neck of the woods, building arches. And the reason I show you all this is because if you've ever seen an archway, you, sh you would know that an arch is built by a form. You put a form up and then you stack these rocks, right, up and up and up and up until you get to the top. The weight of the arch, the entirety of the arch is supported by the form that's underneath it until you put in the keystone. The keystone, you guys remember Rick Moranis and... Uh, 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 the, the Ghostbusters one. I'm looking for the gatekeeper. Remember that? You're looking for the keystone. The keystone is the one thing that holds the entire thing up. As soon as you place the keystone in the archway, you know, and mathematicians know this, that the entire force and weight of the arch is now applied to the keystone. The whole thing rises and falls on the keystone. What's Jesus saying? What's the psalmist saying? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Friends, there are many of us who go through our entire lives knowing something about God and about Jesus and what Jesus has done in his death and his resurrection and deny it. Deny that it happened, deny that, that it's true, deny that it has implications on our lives. And I would just suggest to you this morning, I would implore you, this question is one of the most important questions you can ask. Jesus says, who do you say I am? This is the penultimate question, only followed by, will you follow me then? I can't teach this passage and skip this and not ask you this morning, who do you say Jesus is? This one is worth spending a lot of time thinking about. Now, it's fascinating, a little play on Hebrew. The word stone in Hebrew is eben, E-B-E-N, and the word for sun in Hebrew is ben or bar. So if you take one word away from stone, you get sun. The stone that the builders rejected has become the keystone or the cornerstone. The sun that you've rejected is the thing that it all rises and falls on. John chapter one says that Jesus is the logos, the blueprint, the thing that everything is made in and through and by and that which holds it all together. The, the hum, the energy that we experience as life that we know, the scripture says that's Jesus. That's the presence of God amidst all that has been created. He's the blueprint. He's the logos. Made known to us in human form by this Jesus of Nazareth and present from the beginning of time. This is a question you would do well to think about. Who do you say I am? So Jesus tells a story about a vineyard which echoes the story of Israel's history, their, their story, and their future. And I would suggest a few questions for us this morning. We're going to move into a time of silence and then a time of communion. 
And I want to invite you to think about these questions. And maybe one of them in particular grabs you this morning, maybe, maybe something else. I trust that God speaks louder and differently than I do. But questions that I would consider, invite you to consider. Where is the fruit in my life? And is there fruit being born in my life? If I follow Jesus and I've said yes to this path, then what's the fruit? And if there isn't any, then why? What's in the way? What's blocking it? The seeds are scattered, but they're not growing, right? We've heard a story about this before. Why? What does it mean to clear some path, clear some of the, the, the area of your heart to cultivate soil that's receptive to God's work? So where's the fruit? Second, where are the invitations that keep coming back? Am I being invited to something that I know that I know that I know, but I don't want to know? Stop. Listen. I implore you. And is Jesus the keystone that you've built your life on? And if not, what would it mean to do that? What would it mean to say today, maybe for the first time, I trust that this story about this person, Jesus, the man, God made flesh, died on the cross for the restoration and the rescue of this world that we know and live in. And to follow him is to participate in life. What would it mean to anchor your life on that today? So let me invite you to a time of silence. I'll ask the the band to come and they'll um, prepare to lead us in communion. As we do, uh, I invite you to consider those questions. So we'll have a time of silence and then I'll uh, explain and kind of move us towards communion. So pray with me. God, as we enter this time of reflection and meditation, considering whether or not really this is true, whether or not this story and these stories, this collection of accounts matches up to what's real. As we think about the fruit that's being born in our own lives and or the invitations that we sense and feel from you to move in a certain direction or to take action on something, or whether or not our lives are built on this or something else, God, would you speak? In these next few moments, Holy Spirit, come. Say what we need to hear. Give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit. So for Lent, some people give something up. Sometimes they add something. And uh, this year I wanted to add something with my kids. And so... um, At night, I have been uh, saying the, the ironic blessing over them. And um, it's this amazing thing in the text that says to Aaron, he says, do this, this is how you will bless them, and this is what you will give them my name. And the other night I was at home and one of my daughters said, Dad, would you come up and bless us. So, my friends, my brothers and sisters, my family, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. 
In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace. Love you guys. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.